0: Science story. Huh? NYU a, I, it I felt, it felt I right. I was so And I just happy. thought, well, I it, out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Joe Palka. It was recorded in February 2016 at DC9 in Washington, D.C. Apologies about the audio quality, but we thought it was a great story, and we wanted to share it with you.
1: I'm going to tell you a story about fate. And if there were such a thing as fate, I would be a sleep researcher today, um, and I'm going to give you six examples of uh, fatal events or circumstances that were propelling me inexorably to become a sleep researcher, um, and at the end you'll, you'll I'm sure, agree with me that, that fate was definitely driving me in that direction. So, the story begins uh, in New York City, I grew up in the Upper West Side, uh, in an apartment building at 175 Riverside Drive. Now... You know it? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, this is going to be on the quiz, so I need somebody, you, to, to help me re- the address. What is it? What is it? What, 175 Riverside Drive. Okay, that's going to be important later, so keep that in your head. So I, I was, uh, went to high school in the Bronx, and then I went out to California to Pomona College for my undergraduate degree. And in the uh, Thanksgiving break of my freshman year, I uh, decided it was too far to go back to New York for Thanksgiving, so I went to visit a friend of mine who uh, went to Stanford University up in northern California. A bunch of people got in the car, we went up there, had a great time. And I get to his dorm, and here we go. As fate would have it, that's number one, The dorm resident in this dorm, Sedro House, was a guy named Bill DeMent. Now Bill DeMent was then, in 1970, and is still arguably today the most famous sleep researcher in the world. And he had, in this dorm, put up uh, a sleep lab in the basement of the dorm so that the students, the freshmen mostly, could um, run experiments. But the reason DeMent was such a famous guy was that in, um, he had discovered this stage of sleep called REM. R-E-M, REM, it stands for rapid eye movement. It's an incredibly interesting period of sleep. Um, you look like, your brain looks like it's awake, but your muscles are like, <laughs> No muscle tone at all. And your eyes flop around in your head even though your eyelids are closed, rapid eye movement, sleep. And he published this paper, as fate would have it, in 1953, which was the year I was born. So here I am at Sadro House and I'm visiting my friend at uh, at uh, Stanford and I don't have a place to stay and they were looking for uh, victims, I mean subjects, for their sleep experiments (laughs) And so I agreed to spend the night in a sleep lab. Now, have any of you ever spent the night in a sleep lab? Yeah, so it's, um, it's an experience. Um, what they do is they attach a bunch of electrodes, uh, first to your scalp uh, in order to pick up your brain waves and they use this really cool glue because tape doesn't usually work if you have any hair. And so um, if you pull the electrodes out, you get a hunk of hair come out too. Um, and they use acetone afterwards to dissolve the glue, and when it gets into your eyes, it's really a memorable experience. (laughs) So they put these electrodes, a bunch of them around your head, and then they put a couple around your eyes to actually record the eye movements. And then, um, for those of you listening at home, they put one on the supraheoid muscle, which as I'm sure you all know, is right under your chin, right here, or on your masseter muscle, which is this one right here, and um, those are the ways they measure uh, muscle tone. So they get all these electrodes on you, and then they take you into the sleep room, and you look like a kind of a medusa, and they plug the uh, electrodes into a plug box, and then they say, Okay, lie down, good night, and have a good sleep. And and they walk out and you go, yeah, right, I'm sure. I'm in this bed, and there's like 15 giggling freshmen in the room next door. (laughs) And I'm going to fall asleep, no problem, right. Uh, But I fell asleep, because I'm good at that. That's one thing, that's another thing I haven't talked about. But I'm very good at sleeping. And uh, sometime during the night, because I knew they were going to be interested in, in trying to wake me during REM because REM is the stage of sleep where they're trying, where people typically dream. So I, somebody opened the door and said, Joe, are you having a dream? And it was at a moment when, I, I don't know, you probably know this, you'd wake up and you think, oh, I'm, I think I'm having a dream. It's kind of flo- floated in or floated out. Anyway, if I remembered it then, I sure as hell don't remember it now. But I do remember one thing. I had an erection. <laughs> And this is normal (laughs) because one of the other things that happens during REM sleep is that men get erections. And in fact, one of the things they do in sleep labs these days to make money is they put men to sleep who are having performance issues. If they get an erection during REM sleep, which they tip, they put a strain gauge around the penis and they can actually tell, they don't have to be in the room, but they can tell, (laughs) then they know that the man's problems are not medical, but something else. And just so you don't feel bad, um, women have a change down there too, but the way it's measured, you use something called a photoplethysmograph, And since I can't say photoplethysmograph, I'm not going to tell you about how they measure that. (laughs) Anyway, um, luckily, large blanket, no discussion of my healthy physiological function on this particular (laughs) night. But what was really interesting was the next night to me, because um, I thought it was just stunning that you could look at somebody's brain waves and their eye movements and their muscle tone and say you know he's awake he's asleep he's going into rem he's like looking into somebody's brain and i thought this is completely awesome i have got to study this this is really really interesting so i went back to pomona and i started taking classes in psychology which was where they were teaching about sleep research and then i really wanted to get a job as a As a lab technician or something in a sleep lab, I thought that would be just great. And as fate would have it, that's number three, my parents in New York had friends who uh, had a friend who worked at Montefiore Hospital, and there was a sleep lab at Montefiore, and this friend knew somebody in the sleep lab, and so the sleep lab let me come on during the summer and work as a volunteer. And I lived with my parents that summer at Okay, just remember that's important. So, this lab was this lab was doing some interesting work with REM sleep and visual system, but that wasn't really paying off. It really wasn't clear what REM sleep is for. It's one of those amazing things. Nobody knows what REM sleep is for. The next summer, I went to work in a lab in Edinburgh, Scotland, and they were studying um, protein uh, synthesis, and they thought maybe that helped memory and the REM sleep, but it's weird. You get wakened up. Anyway, don't. I'm not going to tell you about the, phys- the the problems with these experiments, but they were not they were flawed. Let's just say, nobody had figured out what REM sleep was for. And after three summers of of doing research in the summertime and and working on sleep and psychology in class in Pomona, I had a, a bout of momentary insanity, and I decided to go to medical school. And so I spent two years taking all the pre-med classes. Uh, that I had to take and I thought maybe I was drifting away from sleep research uh, and I got really good grades and I had really good scores on the MCATs and I had lots of interviews but as fate would have it that's number four no medical school would accept me (laughs) so I thought well okay maybe I'm not completely done with sleep research maybe I can go somewhere and really get into research and crack this problem of what REM sleep is all about So I applied to this one one program where this guy named Ralph Berger was in charge and I really admired Ralph's work and um, I I wrote to him and I said would you take me on as a grad student and as fate would have it, that's number five, he needed a graduate student and as he said later, I met all the criteria which I thought was a little underwhelming (laughs) (laughs) but he took me on and what Ralph was interested in was sleep at um, cold, cold temperature. He was basically interested in thermoregulation during, the sl- during sleep, how we regulate our body temperature. And one of the things he had me doing was putting subjects in a cold room. And the first thing you learn when you put subjects in a cold room and ask them to go to sleep is they ask for a blanket. But that wasn't enough to get a Ph.D., so I... Um, <laughs> So I, I told them, I, I measured a bunch of uh, temperatures around their body, and I actually was able to measure uh, using a thermistor in their ear, I was getting a good sense of brain temperature, and I noticed something that was really amazing, that their body temperature was going down during the night, but during REM sleep, the brain temperature went up as I was measuring it from this thermistor, even though other parts, and I thought, wow, the brain is this like very high metabolism, maybe, maybe all REM sleep is for is to keep the brain warm. I mean, maybe that's as, maybe it's as simple as that. And I ran into my advisor I said, Ralph, Ralph, I think I've got it. I know what REM sleep is for, it's to keep the brain warm. And he said, well, then why don't people have REM sleep on a hot night? And I realized that I hadn't gotten it. <laughs> And after 10 years of reading about REM and thinking about REM and studying REM, I realized I was never going to figure out what REM was for. And I don't feel so bad because nobody else really has. Um, so uh, in order to make my mother proud, I finished my PhD, but then I went off to do something else. Now, that would be the end of the story, except that I promise you that there were six events fatal fateful events that were driving me inexorably to become a sleep researcher and i have only told you about five so far far so here's the sixth Before Dement went to Stanford he was doing research at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City And he had a lab there, but his wife was complaining that he was always out during the night and so He said to her I'll tell you what, I've got some extra money from NIH, nobody says that anymore, (laughs) I've I've got some extra money from NIH, I'll set up a sleep lab in the apartment building that we're living in, and it's on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and it is 175 Riverside Drive, so it turns out that Bill DeMent was doing some of his seminal studies, forgive the pun, on REM sleep, in the apartment building that I was growing up in in New York City. So if there were such a thing as fate, I certainly would have been a sleep researcher, but since there's not such a thing as fate, I'm a science writer.
0: Thank you. (laughs) That was Joe Palka. Joe is a science correspondent for NPR. He comes to journalism from a science background, having received a PhD in psychology from the University of California at Santa Cruz, where he worked on human sleep physiology. He's won numerous awards, several of which came with attractive certificates. With Flora Lichtman, Palka is the co-author of Annoying, the Science of What Bugs Us. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Erin Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Avaliff. Initial all from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to DC9 for hosting the show and to Sleep for... Thanks for listening.